Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So there is right now conflicting news. The first news was that in this pick for speaker, there was going to be a televised speaker forum and you'd have uh, Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise and, and Hearn. I always forget Hearn's name. Is it Todd? Is it Todd Hearn? It's Kevin. Sorry, Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma. These were the three people who were are being considered for speaker with the removal of Kevin McCarthy. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-468-8669. That's the, that's the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. So Brett Bear was going to do the interview, and then boom, it was going to be this whole thing. And now it was going to be all three speaker candidates. And I guess some Republicans looked at this and said, are you all nuts? Now, I said earlier, right, or, you know, I've I've been discussing that. Well, I guess this shows that Fox News really does still uh, carry some weight. But why is this happening? Well, it doesn't seem to be happening now. I think her name is Micah. Micah Solner from Punchbowl News reporting that it's off. This is Axios. That this is not going to happen. You've got Kevin Hearn, uh, Republican Study Committee chair, saying in a post on, on, on X that he will not be participating in the televised debate. Jim Jordan, I'm quoting, is always happy to share his plan for the country. But he believes it is crucial to meet with the GOP conference before the event. Steve Scalise is, quote, no longer participating per a spokesman. His team had initially declined to participate and only agreed after they were told Jordan and Hearn both planned to do it. That according to Axios. So this is done. It certainly seems like this is not going to happen. I got to assume that we're all kind of thankful that it's not. But I wonder if the issue was the concept or where. I have not gotten a good read on everybody on whether or not they're done done with Fox. Fox has done itself no favors. We can go back to the election, but let's just talk about uh, the, the firing of Tucker Carlson. The level of unceremonious, the level of was this because of the Dominion lawsuit. Um, And then you didn't even try and engage a replacement with with stronger talent. You just rearranged what you have. I have nothing against Jesse Waters. Nothing against Gutfeld. Go be successful. Go get him. You know, I I, I watch uh, Lawrence Jones, now part of Fox and Friends. Mazel tov to you, man. Good on you. Lawrence Jones is a good, decent man. But Fox has has yet to rethink the concept of marquee. Hannity was marquee, then Bill O'Reilly was the marquee, and then Tucker was the marquee. Beck for a while was the marquee. Then they got lucky with the five, which is, I think, ratings-wise, still the strongest thing that they've got. Where's the marquee name putting a thought into the sphere? That's the, the, the real difference. And this isn't anger. 
It is one thing to have people who react to news stories. It's another thing to have people who can cause news stories and put thoughts into the world. Tucker did that. He's still doing that. Bill O'Reilly did that. And to an extent, he's still actually doing that. I can't say if that's actually true about Glenn Beck. I just I just don't know. Fox has never on that level recovered. And certainly people have turned away and uh, to Newsmax and, and, and other sources and, and uh, radio sources, the, the online streaming sources. And, yeah, well, good for my business. Great. But uh, it, it's, I always wonder if it's permanent. Little things I knew to be permanent. Little changes I knew would last uh, for, for forever. Some people are truly, I'll never go back and they'll never go back. And some people are like, I'll never go back. And then they'll say, ooh, what's that? And then they'll go back. I don't know. After these couple of debates and allowing this, this to take place on their airwaves, the, the shameful level of questioning, the lack of control, the failure of the RNC, maybe it's more people than I realize are like, yeah, nope. And so when I look at this, how this speaker forum, Republican speaker forum, collapsed, not just speakers, people running to be speaker of the House, they were going to talk to Brett Baer. And all three said yes, and now all three are like, nah. Was this a conversation about it being a bad idea? Was this a conversation about Fox? Or was this a conversation about Trump? I bristle at the idea that Trump controls the Republican Party. Because I take a look at it from my own self. No part of Trump engages and and decides any conversation that I have. It never has. I don't I don't, I don't get uh notes from syndication ownership. I don't I don't I don't get notes from anybody. I I I'm I'm trusted to do this. But there have been some moves made that make one wonder what the Republican Party is doing. And the move that is most bothersome is this idea that there should not be debates. Newt Gingrich and Rick Grinnell have been on this, that there is just no need... No need to have any more debates. A third debate will have no uh, no viewers. Uh, Trump's the nominee. It's over. I really oppose this. And I got to get Newt on the show to, to really push back on it if, if, if I'll do it. I have discussed that Republicans do have an issue with levels of control. Democrats... Man, they will control any part uh, that they need to. Nancy Pelosi's control over the House was absolute. No one was allowed to do anything. Anything. It's a lot easier to get legislation through when you don't let members of Congress actually be members of Congress. When you don't allow it, what you get is authoritarian rule. You don't have people being able to actually engage. 
if you are to say, and there are times where we take a look at Republicans, why in the world was uh, um, the, the mayor of Miami even thought of to be allowed on a debate stage? Why was Asa Hutchinson ever allowed on a debate stage? Just to screw things up? Just to pretend that they have something to offer? Sometimes you got to tell people no. I do believe that to be true. But that's different than not having a debate at all. Certainly when you talk about the cutoffs in this upcoming debate that right now is scheduled for Miami, 70,000 individual donors, 4% polling. Oh, there are going to be some people who don't make the cut, kitten. There are going to be some people who do not make the cut. Let's take a look at the Real Clear Politics average. Let's take a look at the national. 4% is what you need? Well, that's goodbye to Pence, Christie, Scott, and Burgum. Well, Hutchinson's already gone. It doesn't even matter. Burgum is polling basically at 1%. Tim Scott at 2.3%. Chris Christie at 2.3%. Mike Pence at 3.5%. That's where he is nationally when you take the average. Ramaswamy is at 5.6%. Haley is at 7.4%. DeSantis is at 12.5%. Trump is at 579 That's very high. And that's why people like Gingrich will say, well, this is over. But if you're DeSantis, Haley, or Ramaswamy, this ain't over. It's not over. If you're one of them, can you amass and build and see if you get a following to Iowa? You might say to me, Tony, it's over. They are absolutely right in saying it isn't and that you're nuts for trying to declare that it is. Why should anybody listen to Newt Gingrich scream that somehow it's over? Isn't that exactly, exactly what the Democratic Party did to Bernie Sanders? Because the answer is yes. That's exactly what happened. Bernie Sanders was a threat to Hillary Clinton, but the Democrats couldn't handle the idea of a socialist getting the nominee, so they put Bernie in a trunk. They made him sit there and take that thunderous applause from the Democrats while they gave Hillary the nomination. And we looked at that and said, man, that is messed up. Bernie is the guy that the progressives wanted. They didn't want Hillary. They got Hillary forced down their throats. With all due respect, I do not want Trump shoved down my throat. I want people to make a decision. Now, if you've got a standard, you apply the standard. I don't have a real real problem with that. Some people won't make the debate stage. If they don't make the debate stage, it's done. They're done. But that was based on a standard. Saying there's no need for the debate is nonsense. It is the Republican Party being told, we'll decide your nominee, have a nice day. And if you're okay with that, what makes you different than the Democrats? The answer is nothing. Which is the argument that Newt Gingrich is making, and I think that our argument is nutty. Then I take a look at this thing with the speaker. I'm like, did 
since Trump endorsed Jordan, was like, hey, there's no need to have some kind of debate, debate. It's already done. So while I bristle at the idea that somehow Trump runs the party, I now got two things I'm looking at where I'm like, huh, well, that's something. Meanwhile, I have to believe Jim Jordan has the upper hand, and I won't be surprised if over the weekend uh, Hearn and or Scalise walk. Well, Hearn. I don't know if Scalise has it in him to walk. I think that guy wants to fight to the very end. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. There's an interview going around with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, it's going around like a rash. And it's done by Christiane Amanpour as if she still has anything to offer. This is a horrific bit of recycled content. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Hillary Clinton doesn't matter. What are we, are we trotting her out because maybe she'll be the replacement for Joe Biden? I'm sorry, I I believe I said, are we trotting her out because people believe she'll be the replacement for Joe Biden? Ah! That's why, that's what I thought. I don't know. I don't know what these people are going to do. Are they even going to replace Biden? I still say it's way past that time. But, you know, it's too late to do that. But as you have said many times, and you are correct, it's a Democratic Party. They'll do everything they want, whatever they want. They'll do anything they want, anytime they want, no question. They'll just do anything. And that is absolutely correct. But in this interview with Hillary Clinton, Christiane Amanpour does, Hillary does not go in any direction other than in the same direction as basket full of deplorables. And this time, you need to be reprogrammed. Well, you saw uh, the number of Republicans who voted along with Democrats to keep the government open. So there's clearly a common sense, uh, sane uh, part of the Republican caucus in the House. Um, But I think they are intimidated. Uh, they um, oftentimes, you know, say and do things which they know better than to say or do. And it will require us defeating those most extreme measures uh, and the people who promote them in order to try to get to some common ground where people can again work together. That's the way it used to be. I mean, we had very strong partisans in both parties in the past, uh, and we had very bitter battles over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. But there wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party. Right. It's only the Republican Party that has extreme elements. Extremism. I'll get into a whole extremist conversation, don't you? Don't you worry. But there's only one way to deal with this. As it is today. Mm-hmm. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. Do you? You worked to circumvent congressional oversight? You have no legislation to your name, no achievements as Secretary of State to your name. Everything you have ever done, every title you have ever had, is because a man gave it to you, not because you earned it. 
What credibility does Hillary Clinton have? Because Christiane Amanpour does the interview? The credibility is CNN? What are you all insane? Hillary Clinton has no credibility. She's a joke. She wasn't even strong enough to leave her husband. All right. All right. You know what? Don't get involved in people's personal lives. Maybe they worked it out. Who am I? Who am I? I don't know their relationship. You don't know their relationship. You've got your own issues. It's not for me. It's not for me to say it is. It's not. I won't. On that subject. But I will on this. He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And how do you do the cult members? You mean the people who believe that masks stop COVID, those cult members? Or the cult members, the people who believe you shouldn't be able to run an air conditioner or have a gas stove because of climate change, which used to be global warming, which used to be the coming ice age. Which cult members are you referring to? The people who somehow believe they can do communism better? Which cult members are you referring to? You support Trump and you're a cult member, you support uh, a, a position where children should not be abused in school, you're a cult member, oh no, no, you're a Nazi if, if you believe children shouldn't be abused in school, but again, I'll get to that, give me a moment. They don't mind calling you every last name in the book. And they do it under the guise of, well, this is CNN, this is on television, it must be important. Hillary Clinton, of course, is important. This is what happens when you still believe that the New York Times is an important newspaper. When you believe that the Today Show really does have the pulse of America right there at its fingertip. These things don't matter anymore. Now, the fact that they'll still move people is one of the reasons we have to be even more doubled down on radio and video and other content in other places. And we have to be supportive of them. This this sit down on CNN, this is only getting mentioned by me because of the despicable comments of a despicable woman. She's terrible. She's terrible. She's unlikable, and she still is, and she doesn't have a mind. She uh, can be nasty, for sure. For sure. She can be nasty. I may get more into this. I found this to be a remarkably gross piece. Remarkably ugly, to say the least. Sitting down with Hillary Clinton like it matters. And people share, oh, this will be on The View in no time. Oh, yes, they need to be deprogrammed. Do you know how creepy you sound? You support communism, which has led to more murder than anything in history. We need to be deprogrammed? Because don't worry, it won't just be people who support Trump. It'll be anybody who doesn't believe like they do. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.
The Colts will take on the Titans. It will take place at Lucas Oil Stadium, and I can guarantee you the roof will be closed. Thank goodness we have a retractable roof in Indianapolis for the state of Indiana to enjoy the Indianapolis Colts. There will be no open roof. It'll be too cold. It's been too sunny. It's been too nice. It's been too perfect. Now it's too cold. Now I get it. Now it makes sense. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? JMV joins us. He is the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5-1075. The fan, before we get to the matchup, Jonathan Taylor, officially eligible to practice. Jonathan Taylor doing some walkthroughs. What are the possibilities we'll see Jonathan Taylor in the game on Sunday? I'll tell you what, I didn't think there was going to be much of a possibility, Tony, earlier this week. But after hearing him toss yesterday and hearing what's being talked about right now, I, I think that it is it's pretty good odds-wise that he ends up playing. I don't know how much he's going to play coming up on Sunday, but being able to get back out there and participate, I think that that is um, – uh, certainly, I'll say this. I, I think the odds are a lot greater now than I felt a couple of days ago they would be. In order to get this done, when I take a look at the depth chart here as put forth by ESPN, it still shows Zach Moss, Trey Sermon, Jake Funk, and then Jonathan Taylor with the O being out. When will we find out how this cha- Is that a today thing or is that a Saturday thing? Uh, this may be later on this afternoon. Um, if he's maybe maybe this afternoon tomorrow, if he's elevated to fifty three, man. I mean, after a practice today, maybe tomorrow, something like that. But uh, clearly, he'd have to be elevated to fifty three, man. And you know, he could be a healthy scratch if they feel that he's not completely ready on Sunday morning. We've certainly seen that often, not with him, but just with players in general. But I would have to think that if they elevate him to the fifty three, man, later on today or sometime tomorrow that um, he'd be a part of this and probably have some plays going his way coming up on Sunday, which when you think about it, he's not going to be Jonathan Taylor that you expect to see a couple of years ago automatically, but you do add a potential game breaker to an offensive lineup that does not have any game breakers. And that's going to be a big deal. Talk to me about his ankle. The, The question has been, was there really still an issue? Or was this all part of the holdout conversation with the agent, with the back and forth with owner Jim Irsay? Do we do what? Which part of this do you believe? The ankle, a real thing that still needed rehab, or the ankle was a story? No, I believe I believe he's been healthy. I believe the whole story here is just how blueprint wise, his new agent as of May had kind of gone down a list of, hey, we're going to get the money that you want, we're going to get you paid, we're going to get you extended and kind of went down a list. Now, a lot of people would disagree with me on that, and it's tough for me to call out somebody for faking an injury, whatever. I just think that they played this out, Tony, as far as they could play this out, trying to get him what he wanted and what I would guess his agent probably kind of promised him, which was the reason why he changed agents you know, in the first place there. So that's that's my thought, that you just simply came to an end to where – The only choice you have in this is to get back on the field and to play. And it's twofold, maybe even more. One is from a standpoint of if you don't, you're going to get fined. Um, Because there are so many things floating out back, Tony, back in the late summer and such. We can get into some of that, I'm sure, later on. But the other thing is showing everybody. Showing this Colts team, showing anybody else out there that may have any future interest 
that, you know, you're more than just all these other running backs other than Christian McCaffrey out there. You're a playmaker, a game breaker. You take a team to a different level. This is the final play in this playbook right here is to show what he can do, show who he is, and to do that for the Colts. And, Tony, don't forget, the Colts have control. I mean, the Colts, if they want to in the offseason, if they like what they see and believe what they see, if he fits in with Shane Steichen's system really well, you know, well, they can just franchise tag him. And he won't like that either. So this saga is far from over, but the playbook that he and his reps were playing came to an end at the end of Pup, and we're going to see that probably take place on Sunday. So you're, we're talking about it from what, what we think of, of yeah. Jonathan Taylor and whether or not he faked an injury or, or not, or maybe extended the, what, how long the injury had lasted. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Talk to me about teammates. Never mind where Steichen is. I would assume he doesn't carry – he can play all right, good. It's a, it's a, it's a piece for me to, to utilize. Teammates. Are, is there bad blood? Is there a feel that uh, this this whole fight wasn't necessary? You you let your agent take you down a wrong path. Is there animosity or is there a good, let's make this team even better? No, I think teammates are all for him getting paid. Because players are all for themselves and other pet players getting paid. So they're all going to say, hey, you know, we understand it's a business. As long as the sport, you get all these cliches that are thrown around at times like this, but that's going to be one of them. So we understand what he was trying to do. We welcome him back with open arms. I think that's what Mo Ali Cox said yesterday. And you move on because you ultimately realize, Tony, that he makes this team better. His presence makes this team better. And we haven't seen him with this Shane Steichen offense. And if you're Shane Steichen, I think there are really two major benefactors, and one not being Jonathan Taylor in all of this. That's Shane Steichen and this offense, and that's the fan base here. The fan base you know, gets to add a game-breaker going into week five in a division where everybody's tied at two games apiece with a team coming to town that's owned you in the past five with a seven-game losing streak at home at Lucas Oil Stadium. So you add him to a possible equation on Sunday, and then for the future, it excites the fans. It has to excite the head coach with the offensive philosophy. Maybe not so much Jonathan Taylor because he didn't get what he wanted out of this right now, but uh, certainly there are some happy folks here, the fans and the head coach. Now you take a look at at this matchup, the Colts against uh, the Titans, and yes, the Titans are six and one in their last uh, uh, competitions against uh, the 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 Colts. Um, this this matchup is one that gives Anthony Richardson great opportunity. This matchup is one that forces our defense to figure out how to stop Derrick Henry, and therefore opens up uh, possible weaknesses in that secondary. Tell me about what you see. No, Tony, all of the above right there, too. And plus, you have an owner. You have an owner that's sick and tired of being out-toughed and beaten five straight by the Titans and losing seven consecutive at home right here, too. If you remember, go back to when Josh McDaniels bailed out in the 11th hour and just completely embarrassed the organization and Chris Ballard on that list was Mike Vrabel. And they really liked Mike Vrabel at the time. They just went with McDaniels, but they really liked Vrabel. And you could say what you want about the start of the Titans or maybe a year ago with the Titans, but they, they certainly, game in and game out, bring his toughness on both sides of the football 
to the field. And I think to a degree that Jim Mercer has always been a little bit jealous of that. Maybe not so much anymore because you like what you have in Chance Steichen. But, you know, with these Frank Wright teams, especially when they're getting out toughed, uh, seemingly out of around every corner, I think Jim Mercer has been a little bit jealous of, of what Rabel is able to do with a team that maybe doesn't scream from its roster of, of any sort of greatness and still being able to win, win divisions, which the Colts haven't done since 2014, and, you know, go to an AFC title game a, a couple of years ago. So I think he's a little bit jealous of that, and it would be nice to see this team at home. And by the way, Tennessee has not played well at all on the road. I mean, really looked bad on the road, but much better at home with their 2-2 two and two mark. And I've already said this. I only do this a couple of different times, Tony, during the season. This is a must-win. This is a must-win. Now, you, you can do the math, and it's not going to equate out to any must-win and all math nerds out there just settle down. But, again, you're talking about a team that's firmly entrenched right now going into week number five, two and two, that gets a shot of adrenaline at some point with Jonathan Taylor, that has a losing streak of seven consecutive at home, that's been owned by the Titans. I don't care if we weren't talking about the division. At some point, this has to stop, and it has to stop on Sunday. So I have dubbed this a must-win for the Colts, Tony, on Sunday. Anthony Richardson has 479 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Those are his stats for 2023. Uh, he was 11 for 25, I believe it was, in uh, yes, was. that game against the Rams. Yet everybody talks about, my gosh, he's going to be so fantastic. Matthew Stafford's talking about him. This one, that one. Are they all just being laudatory because that's the thing to do? Or is there something we should be looking at that we're not? No, nah, brother, he's going to be legit. And, again, the 11 of 25 doesn't speak. I think if you really wanted to have significant hope that he's going to be who, you know, Shane, uh, who Shane Steichen believes, who Sean McVay has talked about, you mentioned Matthew Stafford and others that have seen him play, it's what you saw in the fourth quarter. I mean, some of the, the – invention of plays and situations that he who Denny like got out of and scored a touchdown or got yardage out granted it's going to be a roller coaster and it was I mean it was a joke of a start on both sides of the football and you and I talked about that earlier this week and it's really it's, it's a, a ridiculous start is what you got for half a play but it, late in the game when things really got into crunch time and they needed it he was incredibly good and that's why people are saying that not so much about the 11 of 25 but about the playmaking ability he had when things really truly mattered how they got back into the game went into overtime uh, so on and so forth. So that's what people are talking about in terms of that. But it is going to be a roller coaster. You're going to get the good times. You're going to get the bad times. You just have to ultimately put all that together, make that a little bit more cohesive and, and relatable to your game from start to finish. And then you're going to make everybody a believer. But if you watch the end of that game, I think it's you'd be hard-pressed to, to not agree that he's going to be pretty good. How much more time do these wide receivers need with him? And, and the guy <laughs> I'm staring at, I'm staring at him right now, is Alec Pierce. We get him from the University of Cincinnati. I dig the dude. I always thought he was going to play more in that slot. You can punch him in the face and he gets back up. It's it's kind of nutty. He has the one really incredible reception uh, in that game against the Rams. But he has seven receptions, I think, for 114 yards this season. Um, I, 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 it, this isn't a bust in, in, in his second year, but or third year, I think it might be. Uh, no, second year. 
where are we with him? Where are we with this receiver core? Do they understand how they have to change to deal with Anthony Richardson and his growth? Is is that a, 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 an issue? Or is this receiving core just not as good as it needs to be? Well, I mean, I, I think both sides of it. Uh, you have a growing quarterback, uh, obviously. And, you know, you have a, a receiving core. Michael Pittman Jr., I think, certainly more ready for prime time than now. Like, but I'm going to give you an angle here regarding Jonathan Taylor's return that nobody is talking about but you and I right here. And that is the big hitting capability that Taylor will have once he gets back into the swing of things. And what I mean by that is the respect he's going to get from the defensive side of the football for other teams is going to open up something that we just clearly have not seen so far with Anthony Richardson to really anybody, much less Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce's main game, and he's got to evolve in a lot of other areas, but his signature is going down the field and going up and giving a jump ball. And Anthony Richardson's signature coming out of Florida is throwing that ball, delivering that ball as a jump ball with somebody like a receiver going up like Pierce, you know, at the highest point and getting it. We just haven't been able to see them take shots down the field significantly because of the lack of respect that other defenses are giving this running game. And even with, there's no disrespect to Zach Moss whatsoever. I mean, he goes for 90, goes for over 100. He has been really good when he's playing in there. But Jonathan Taylor gives you different defensive looks and gives you a different level of defensive respectability you're going to get, which I think will take off we'll take off the cap of going down the field. I think, uh, I think you're right about that. In, in, the, in the same way, it, we all of a sudden realize that Zach Moss is pretty solid. And if you've got Taylor yeah. Moss, and whether it's Sermon or Funk, and certainly I want to keep Jake Funk on the team just for the song, um, like all of a sudden you, you feel very good about having a running game in any situation, just like you feel very good about Gardner Minshew backing up Anthony Richardson, that no matter what happens, you could still move a ball uh, down the field. Yeah. In the end, where, in your view, did the Colts end up against the Titans 1 o'clock on Sunday? Um, you know, it's weird because the line, I think, started out uh, the Colts minus 2.5, and, and now the Colts are the home dogs against the Titans. I don't know if we're going to find out more more injuries and guys aren't participating later on today or what. But ultimately, and I picked yesterday, 22-20, I have the Colts getting the win. And again, I have dubbed this a must win for all the reasons that I, I thought I thoroughly explained to everybody, both to you today and, and yesterday as well. This is an important game beyond the win-loss column here. I, I mean, it's just been embarrassing for them in a lot of ways, and certainly against their chief rival within the AFC South, it's been embarrassing. It's time to end that on Sunday, and I think they do. Before I let you go, Rod Carey taking over as the offensive coordinator for IU football. Uh, you you like this, or is this a stopgap and everything will change once the season's done? You may use this in terms of news and politics and, and your viewpoints more than I do, this cliche, but like, uh, remember the, the rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic type of stuff? Sure do. That's, that's what this is. I mean, that's what this is. I mean, you had to do something uh, because Walt Bell wasn't getting it done. Hey, listen, I hope for the sake of Taven Jackson, for example, that the carry is going to be really good. He certainly knows the program, and he did some things when he was a coach at, at Northern Illinois. He does some things in the past, but I just think this is ultimately rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because that's exactly what this team is, really on both sides of the football. We're finding that out as the season grows longer. JMV, 93.5, The Fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. Dude, you're always a pleasure. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. <laughs>
like how the swimmers in Virginia stood up. Taking a look at what's happened with swimming, taking a look at men on women's sports teams to clearly take advantage. This isn't about, well, they're really women. No, they're not really women. They're really men. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. So you have uh, the, the Roanoke College women's swim team. Riley Gaines was there. Paula Scanlon, who was a former teammate of Leah Thomas, who is a man. You call yourself Leah all you want. You're still a, a man speaking out in favor of supporting women in sports, that they deserve the right to compete against other women. It is wrong when you have men joining teams. It is abusive. It is aggressive. And telling these women to just lay back and take it is disgusting. And by the way, that is my language. And I'm here to tell you it is exactly hyper-accurate to how they're treated by the political left. The hatred for women is remarkable. It's stunning. It's shocking. You don't get to complain. You just lay back and take it. Men are important and they need the spot on your team more than you do. It's obscene. Obscene. Our comfort was undervalued and discarded. Numerous times we asked the school for support. Each and every time we were told to deal with it ourselves or told nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, you should uh, think about finding another school. And we should all be supportive of women in sports. And men do not belong on women's sports teams. Don't be misogynists. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.